Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, a very special edition recorded at the British Museum for the Royal Television Society. Uh, no Jim on this one, but he was ably deputised by German historian Katja Hoyer. We hope you enjoy. How long have you been in the UK? About 10 years now. Right. And, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the joke, of course, uh, that I think that, that around the Second World War in British culture that, you know, that comes hot from Forty Towers that I think everyone at some point has run into is, is, is don't mention the war. And that, that whole episode where Basil Dan mentioned the war because there's German guests in, and then, of course, at the end, they say, how on earth did, did they win? Has your experience of being here been... What's your experience of, of, the, of the, the, the Second World War in British culture as someone, you know, not just from, from outside, but from Germany? Well, you can't even walk into a room without sh- somebody shouting Achtung, Achtung at you, can you? <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's certainly very much still on people's minds. And actual fact, my English teacher at school, and this was sort of in year nine when I was about 13, uh, said to me, before you go to Britain, watch that episode. Somebody will say to you, don't mention the war or any of the other lines <laughs> from Forty Towers. So we, we all sat there in the class and she rolled the big TV in. <laughs> watching that episode. <laughs> it's You're part of the cultural education that you need if you want to survive in this country. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and and what, what, did, I mean, what did you make of it? I didn't get it. Right. I literally didn't get it. <laughs> but she was bang on. And the moment I walked, you know, walked into this country, that's the first thing that somebody said. It's either that or... Any, any lines from Allo Allo. It's the right. other big thing that you get. So, right. yeah, it's still very much on, on so, people's So minds. British sitcom... Uh, 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 I, mean, I mean, obviously, what's go? I mean, I think one of the things that's going on in those sitcoms is, is it's, it's part of the British way of digesting the war experience. After all, you know, Dad's Army, you know, uh, uh, the, probably the most popular British sitcom of all time that's still on and still does very well for BBC Two when it's on. I mean, that when they first... The story goes, when they were first putting that together, when they were first trying to commission it, the BBC's attitude was, why do we want something about the Second World War? Second World War's over at the end, at the end of the 60s. It's forgot, we, we've got to get past that. We're, we're done with that. It's, 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 it's finished business. Why would anyone want to go on about it? Yet here we are with it... With it I, mean, I mean, sort of... Uh, uh, it's not, not at the centre of British culture, but it certainly it, 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 it runs through an awful lot of it, doesn't it? Absolutely, I agree. And the, the thing about Forty Towers, though, once I got it and understood what it, what it actually does, um, is exactly that, isn't it? It's Forty who's ridiculous in this. Yeah. It's, it's the sensible German group that sits there and just wants to have dinner. And it's, it's him that we're laughing at and with yeah. uh, rather than the, the Germans in this. So in many ways, I guess it picks up exactly on that theme. It's kind of, it's done, it's over, Let, let's not talk about it anymore. And it's, yeah. it's making light of, of that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yet yeah, has become, a, I think, has, has, lived, has, has lived on. I mean, uh, I mean, Henning mentioned the football. It's the, it's the, this thing still seems to exist. I mean, I, I've always, you know, I grew up in the, I grew up in the, in the 70s. My father had been, a, had been a soldier and was interested in military history, but I grew up in the 70s very keenly aware of, you know, of, of the 
Second World War and, and, and that it was it's something that had happened to them. I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, early, early 50s. And, um, <laughs> and it depends how flexible you are about mid. Um, I'm, I'm in my early 50s and, and, you know, my parents and parents of my friends would talk about there being no bananas and all that sort of stuff and, the, and the re- would remember rationing. So, so did we, but that's behind the Iron Curtain, so that's a different question <laughs> altogether. Oh, right. There were well, no bananas well, either. No, well, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to we that in a minute because that obviously that must mm. cast a different perspective on it. But, they, they, you know, it's a thing they talked about. And then you also had, you know, you had war films on the telly. And I think the interesting thing about that is, you know, a film like... Um, uh, Dan Busters was a massive hit movie in the 50s, but by the, by the late 70s, it's on television. And so you haven't got to go and see it. It's in, your, it's in your home. It's part of the sort of drip, drip, cultural drip, drip. And also, the, what's happening in the UK is the UK is, you know, it's post-imperial. It's trying to figure itself out and find out what it stands for. And the Second World War, because, because you know, in British history, it's probably the unambiguously the war where there are bad guys that, that we're fighting, rather than, you know, a difference of opinion over who should run America or whatever. Um, that In the 70s, it, it fulfilled that, it, it could fulfill that role. So for all of, jo- all of John Cleese trying to say, can we stop talking about the war via Basil Fawlty, it's being talked about, it's everywhere. And I, I played with action men, I made airfix models, you know, the... Let it all out, Al, why don't you? Well, well I feel like, like, like yeah, a, tell like me a, about a, your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, and I think, but I think that, uh, and there was, famously, there was the, um, uh, was it the Euro, oh God, was it the Euro 90, when, when did Piers Morgan on the front of the Daily oh, Mirror? 96, wasn't it? 96, that's right. So. Put a really like, um, uh, sort of genuinely shocking uh, uh, headline on the paper about the, about, Food, what, what, I can't remember what it was. I think it was. Yeah, it'll come back to me in a minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, I think it was a kind of for you, the football is over type, mm, oh, yep, type yep. thing. Fritz. The, Fritz. That <laughs> was, you know, obviously about the Second World War. And I think it's been interesting that, you know, that, that, and, and, it, and it clearly played into the, the, the Brexit debate as, as, as a factor. I mean, what do you, I mean, boldly, what do you make of it? What do you make of the fact? I found it astonishing just how people deal with it as a, as a normal part of culture. As you say, people grow up with it, people make jokes about it. It's, it's, you know, the movies aren't something that people sort of go, oh, that was in the 50s and 60s. We can't watch those anymore. People watch them with their children, all of these old, you know, war films. It's again something I had to do as part of my cultural education as well. Once I came here, people started quoting things like from old war movies. Really? So I, I sat down and watched a lot of them. And I was just surprised that they're still on TV. If that was a German thing, you know, because it's sort of from the 50s, 60s, 70s, people would go, you can't say that anymore. You know, let's archive it quietly and let's pretend they never existed. Um, but the fact that people still watch them and, like I said, show, show them to their children, grandchildren, is something that very much perpetuates, I think, this um, obsession, if you want to phrase it negatively, yeah. or interest, if you want to you know, put it in a positive way, in the Second World War. But I think that's a, it's a healthier way, I think, in many ways of dealing with this compared to what Germany did, both East and West, where this, this is still kind of this great big black hole in their history that sucks everything else into its orbit. Yeah. Um, and you mustn't say anything light about it or joke about it or, or you know, do anything. Really Go near it, it other, Yeah, exactly. Although, although interestingly, um, uh, the German uh, iteration of Spitting Image that's on at the moment, they have made a Hitler puppet. Yeah, and it's interesting that that's recently become a, a thing as well. So there was this uh, book, wasn't it, first, with Look Who's Back? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hugely controversial in Germany, 
when that first came out. Even when the film Downfall, I don't know if people have seen that, um, the German movie about the, the last days in the bunker, which came out, I want to say 2006, something yeah. like that. Um, people thought it was controversial for showing Hitler as a human being. Yeah. And people were saying, well, what else is he? What, what was he if he wasn't a human being? Yeah. But it's the fact that Bruno Gantz really cleverly shows the emotion, the despair. You know, the, there's a point in where one of Hitler's closest advisors comes back and, and tells him that he's basically not followed his orders for a few uh, weeks now, basically evacuating civilians from the city. Um, and Hitler just sits there and gets angry and breaks his pencil, you yeah. know, and you almost feel sorry for him in that moment, even though you know you shouldn't. Yeah. But it's that sort of thing which, you know, in Germany still raises a lot of emotions, emotionality, I think, which, mm. which is interesting. And I think that point hasn't really quite reached yet where it's gone into history. Yeah, I, th- I think it was in 2003, because in 2004 I interviewed a guy who'd been in the Führer bunker, um, uh, who was the last man out, a guy called Rockus Miesch, who was an infamous um, character. And he's, he... he he said, the first thing he said when we met on location to record with him is he said, have you all seen Downfall? <laughs> it was nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. That film's totally, totally inaccurate, mm. uh, which he was keen to get off his chest. I mean, the, the, I mean part of this, I mean, interestingly, part of this is, is, is it, because it's come to us through, pop, it's been processed through popular culture in the UK, but hasn't in Germany, really. What, what I mean, and after all, we've, we talk about Germany, mm. Which Germany? Um, because because until that. 1990 there were there were yeah. there were two, and which were a cons- and that was a consequence of the Second World War. So because uh, you're from the east, aren't you? Mm. But I think what both of them had in common is, in contrast to the UK, where it's very much a, a boy thing, isn't it? Largely kind of you know reading like Commando comics, and some people apparently have still not quite got over that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and playing with I don't know model toys and stuff yeah. like that. So it all of that it. is very much a, a boy thing, almost reliving what the soldiers would have done and felt and you know even with the first world war as well this whole idea of going over the top and, and yeah. doing, you know having adventures and having your your pals around you and that sort of thing and because you can't do that if you're german how are you going to sit there and recreate the experience of a wehrmacht soldier on the eastern no. front doing mass shootings in the you yeah. know in the, in the east you can't do that you can't sit there and romanticize that and i think because of that it hasn't got that nostalgic <laughs> thing about it I but, think but how was it politically processed in the east though because because after you've been lib- the east had been rescued by mm. communism liberate liberated by the Soviet Union in the same way that the west was liberated by the by the, by the western allies what's what's what went on in the DDR they were because they saw um, fascism and Nazism as the pinnacle of capitalism this was kind of always held up as a, if you go down the slippery slope from communism to socialism to like a third way social democracy thing to capitalism, that's where you end up. Right. So Nazism was always in its crassest and most extreme form upheld. So one example is when, when I was young, we still had the original exhibition in uh, Buchenwald concentration camp, which is in, just outside of, of Weimar in, in Thuringia. And the couple that ran Buchenwald at the time, the, the commandant um, couple, were called Ilse and Hans Koch, um, who both were had sort of psychopathic streaks. They were specifically chosen for that role because they yeah. were a little bit psychopathic. And Ilse Koch in particular, the, the wife, had a, had a thing for skin, for human skin. She was properly obsessed with it and would choose prisoners based on the fact that they had a mole or a tattoo or something interesting on their skin and had them killed. 
and then made things out of out of their skin, like including things like lampshades and God. drums and stuff like yeah. that. And, and all of that initially was, you know, kind of confiscated when the Allies first found it um, and was kind of just stuffed somewhere. And the East German authorities thought, no, you know what, this shows how extremely evil this entire thing is and how out of hand it would get eventually. And so they had this whole macabre expedi- like exhibition in Buchenwald where, you know, as children, we were sort of going, you know, we want to see that. It had the opposite effect. People thought it was some sort of macabre you yeah. know, thing that, that just had an allure of its own, you know, irrespective of why it was there which is why it got done away with. I don't know where they put them now, to be honest, but they, they basically completely revamped the whole thing in the 1990s when um, Germany was reunited because they thought it was just too macabre and you can't do that. And the West did exactly the opposite. So there's very, very little information in, in Western um, museums on what actually happened. It's very much about yeah. the impact of it and the, the fallout afterwards. We just need to take a quick break now. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back to this special edition of We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me and Katja Hoyer. And then in the West, what, 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 what's going on? Is, is Nazism seen as, is the Second World War seen as a sort of um, an extraordinary moment? Or, because I know that you know, there's the various German historical schools of how you, how you, how you basically uh, deal with what happened. So there's the, there's the idea that Hitler's an aberration or is the idea that he's a, he's a, again, he's a culmination of of flows in German history or, or that it's a, it's a, a one-off weird lightning strike that can never happen again and, and, and those ideas. What, what goes on in the West, in, in, in Western Germany in terms of history? I think it changes all the time. There isn't, as you say, there are different schools of history, but basically people don't really quite know what to do with the stuff that happened before the Nazis. Like the Weimar Republic is great because it's the first proper German democracy after the First World War with an ultra-democratic system, which eventually brings it down as well, but that had you know, really, really free democracy, basically, with very few ties to a proportion of representation, all of that stuff. Yeah. But anything that happened before that um, is dubious, it's, it's a bit grey, they don't really know, is it a pre-runner to Nazism, uh, what happened, basically, with, with Willem II under, under constitutional monarchy, because you do have that element of, of militarism already in it. Or is it something that is completely separate from that and then the First World War brings about the calamities yeah. that happen later? And, and because this is a bit of a grey zone... Um, people don't quite know where to put it. Is it good? Is it bad? So, for example, this year is the 150th anniversary of the, of the German nation. It was founded yeah. in 1871. Not a word about that in Germany. There wasn't a, a, any sort of event, exhibition, anything. The, the president invited two historians along into his office to discuss it. Back in January, <laughs> that was it. Really? Uh, nothing, because people just don't know what to do with it. Do you celebrate it? Do you do you shun it? Do you you know? It, Whereas it last really year work. was last year was reunification, wasn't mm. it? So and, and that was huge. That was huge. Of yeah. course it was. Yeah, that, that's kind of like the German awe moment. That that's the way modern Germany likes to start is is in eighteen uh, sorry in nineteen eighty nine or in, in ninety. Yeah. Um, when the when the war fell in Germany, which is sort of United. happy ending, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's the end of history, isn't it? Quite. <laughs> yeah quite famously, and that's certainly how Germany likes to see it. Gosh, no wonder there aren't any sitcoms in German. I mean, it is a peculiar thing, in, in, in a way, to... to the, 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 these are so, I mean, so wildly contrasting um, approaches to the, to the same subject, really. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you could argue that the, 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 the 
after all, the extent to which the, the, Brit- the British contribution to winning the Second World War, you know, has been has been played up, played down, has been uh, a, a, a definitely exaggerated, definitely definitely uh, degraded, uh, de- you know, uh, uh, and yet we've still also gone through the thing of making light, turning it into entertainment. I mean, making light of it yeah. and, and making podcasts about it and, and stuff, <laughs> and yet on the I mean, you know, all that stuff. You, told us is so it's obvious why there isn't a there isn't much comedy about it but a thing like uh, uh, look who's back Evita Dutch, if people don't know uh, what that is it's, it's basically hitler wakes up doesn't he at the scene of the rice chancellery in in 2009 or something and then goes on tv as a as a an edgy comedian um <laughs> saying appalling right-wing things. I don't know why I like the look of this book so much. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, read, I read it in Berlin. Over, I was in Berlin for New Year, and I read it in Berlin and straight through. I couldn't put it down. And it's written in the, in the sort of tumbling Hitler rhetoric, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I found it incredibly funny. Mm. It is, I mean, I think it, it is, is funny. It's a really, I think really... a lot of Germans find it funny as well, yeah. but they feel bad about finding it funny. And that, that's the bit that I find so odd, is basically people want to get to that point, I think, where, where things can be a bit lighter, but they just don't feel that they can go there yet. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, will they ever be able to? I mean, a good example is, I don't know if, if people have seen this maybe on Twitter, there was a huge um, furor over, the, over last week when um, Germany had the ceremony going on uh, to honour oh, yeah. its, its war dead in Afghanistan. And it's a, it's a ceremony that looks sinister to outsiders because you've got Germans marching around with torches in front of the Reichstag building and in their black shiny boots and with their German helmets on them in formation uh, to the beat of drums. So it isn't a great look, I admit. Um, <laughs> That's one way of putting it. But the thing is, they do this 20, 30 times a year it's just, and, and have done since 18, I think 38 was the first time. It was basically a thing during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, the, yeah. the Prussians were fighting with the Russians who had this like really fascinating nighttime marching thing that they did every night. Yeah. It was kind of like a good you know, like a bedtime ritual for the Russian soldiers. Um, and they would just like march around with fire and stuff. And, and the uh, Prussian king looked at that and thought, I want that. I like that. Um, yeah. Why'd you do this? And they went, oh, it's just the thing we always done. And so he ordered his own military guys to sit together and come up with something similar. And they've, they've been doing this since 1838. But because the Nazis then picked it up and had this huge cult of fire around yeah. it, but the ceremony hasn't actually changed. It was the same under the Nazis, only bigger and, and done by the, by the SA rather than so by Hitler private army rather than by by the soldiers um, and suddenly the Bundeswehr has it's been doing this again since I think 52 after the right. war um, so you know every year 20 30 times but the Bundeswehr this year thought it might be a good idea to put it on Twitter <laughs> and then it just went wild around the world people were like look at them go again is it 1933 you know and you had all of these comments there so it's, it's interesting how much even outside of Germany this sort of thing does still but then the Olympic flame is a Nazi um, innovation mm. uh, that doesn't seem to bother anybody, does it? Yeah, no, that's So totally people agree. can be quite selective in their outrage, can't they? Yeah, although I suppose it's because it has afterwards been used very yeah. visibly and people then start to see other things in it. I mean, the Iron Cross is another example where, yeah. as a military honour, you know, it was introduced again during the Napoleonic Wars in 1813, and actually it was the king's wife, Louise, 
who got the first one. So in that respect, you could make a huge sort of nice, you know, feminist piece of history out of it. Um, but then again, because it's associated with the First World War and the Second World War, it was kind of not used after the war. And, and the military try and bring it back every so often. There's a petition basically to bring it back. And each time it's shot down for fear of what this might look like. And they yeah. pointed out, look, it's on our planes, it's on our military vehicles, it's on everything. They use the symbol of yeah. it. But they can't use the actual Iron Cross on it. The anymore. decoration. Yeah. Right? Gosh. God, I mean, you know, when you can, I mean, th- 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 these currents are so different. Obviously, if, you, if we had someone French to talk about this, they, 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 they'd have another, another completely different story. Because that's after all the, the, one of the really fascinating things about the Second World War is its impact on all the, on all the, on all the you know, all the combatants. And that th- in Russia, you now have revision going, around, going on around um, uh, some of the diplomatic events that precede the Second World War uh, Put it coyly, um, uh, you know that you, 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 the Nazi-Soviet pact now is a thing you can't talk about in Russia, and it's the it's the great patriotic war, and it starts in 1941. Uh, 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 the French also have a little bit of well, a poncho. The French have got a real when, problem with the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, when I went to the um, to the to the um, Hall of Mirrors in the in the yeah. Palace of Versailles uh, once, I was looking around because that's where the German nation was founded in 1871. So I was looking around for somewhere that would say that. And there isn't a single plaque, not anything in the entire thing. So I, I went to one of the tour guides there and said, you know, have we, have we just lost it or should that be somewhere? Or he went, it didn't happen. I was like, yes, it did. <laughs> Completely just, you know, thought I was making it up. And then I was obviously speaking English to him with a German accent, so that didn't go down particularly well. So. <laughs> Yeah, but he, he got very, very feisty about that and said it, it, it was absolutely adamant that never happened. Not in this room. This was a French palace with French kings in it and nothing yeah. German ever happened there. Because, I mean, I think, I mean, I think <laughs> to, to, you know, more seriously about where it sits in British culture, though. So I think the Second World War is actually our, this country's modern foundation myth, certainly, certainly in English modern foundation myth. I mean, what's what's really interesting is uh, is the Labour government, um, uh, the Attlee government, nationalise things, and they do it on a British scale for the... uh, And they make a point of that, that it's a national health service that includes... You know, it's not devolved in Scotland. It's all part of one national unit because the countries work together. And it's it's them moving away from imperialism as well. They're quite, quite deliberately ditching imperialism and creating the idea of a British nation rather than Britain as a part of a sort of imperial... Sort of mosaic. It's a place on its own that that that, that stands alone. And, and and what's quite interesting is that's when the standalone stuff about the Battle of Britain and Dunkirk starts. Is in 1945. After that, at the time, people aren't saying that in Britain. It's not in the newspapers. You can't find politicians talking about standing alone. They talk about the empire standing alone, but not about. Britain standing alone. And then after the Second World War, you, it turns into this story about this country. And the, both political parties have a vested interest in, in, in pursuing that idea because the Labour Party is a socialist party is trying to say the British working classes did this. It was a people's war and we did it. And again, no one's talking about a people's war during the Second World War, except in terms of a, a, the idea of a total war. So you have this thing where, where the Labour Party are doing it saying it was the British people who won this, so we need to reward the British people with things like the welfare state and the health service, and that was the deal that was struck. And the Conservative Party sort of saying, well, the British people won this war because they're the very best people in the world and there's no one like us. Hmm. And, they're, and they're both pursuing different versions of a nationalist uh, you know, political texture that suit their purposes. And, and then by the, so by the end of it, you end up... I, I went to a lecture 
uh, three years ago by, by a historian called David Edgerton, who writes about this really interestingly. And he, it was called The Myth of a Loan, and, he, and, he, and he'd done this thing where he'd put, he'd put the newspapers from 1940 into Google, and he can't find anyone mm. saying Britain's standing alone. It's just... It's not in the dialogue at all. It, it surfaces later, and, it, and part of it happens in 45, 46, because the British go to the Americans and say, you came in late, and we stood on our own, because Britain's broke at this they point. They said, and, we said you are, we exactly, saved your asses. Exactly, the Americans are going, we <laughs> yeah, helped you out. Yeah. And, 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 and the British are saying, well, were, yeah, but there's two years where you didn't take this seriously, you didn't take the emergency in Europe seriously. But do you not think there's a bit of an element of railing back against the we helped you out thing as well? Certainly if oh, yeah. in America, obviously there is that. In Germany, is always, oh, we were wedged in by the Russians and yep. the Americans, yep. and neither the British nor the French feature very much in this at all and I think there might also be just an element of you know wanting to have that recognition in the, yeah. in the role that oh, people played the sacrifice oh no oh, ab- absolutely absolutely and, and but it, but then it, it then turns into these streams of, so at this lecture you know um uh, David Edgerton says all this and then an old guy gets up and he goes I, I'm 85 and I, I remember the second world war and we were definitely on our own and sat back down thought, <laughs> said his piece said his piece <laughs> Um, and that, that you know, and, and, and of course, if he's 85, he can't possibly remember it. He was two, right? <laughs> um, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, so it, it's the, the story you start telling yourself after the event. Because after all, I think one of the things that, that there's history in universities and there's history that's got off reservation and belongs to everyone else and, and turns into something else. And, and the Second World War is, I think, the greatest example of that um, in, in British culture, and, and after all, everything in British culture, any event in British culture, either gets compared in his, you know, to the Six Wives of Henry VIII or the Second <laughs> World War, right? Because they're the only two things we know about. So the, the pandemic, right? They couldn't compare that to Anne Boleyn <laughs> last, last year. So they got com- so obviously the pandemic was com- compared to the Blitz. Endlessly, people are going. Oh, more people have died of the coronavirus than they have than they were killed in the Blitz bombing. Well, if you want to, could we compare like with like, possibly? And you know, but you can't compare that to Catherine Parr, can you? So, <laughs> so but the but the but the but the point is, is, is it's become so knotted into um, into our uh, culture and our political expression that um, I mean, what. Uh, the question I asked David Edgerton, I'd like, when is the Second World War going to end? That's a good question. I mean, like, in Germany, it's literally the opposite. You can't compare anything to the Second World War without losing your job. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> that, that used to be a, the famous thing. Is it's the, mention the word Hitler or the war in any shape or form, compare anything to it, or, or we'll mention it, and that, that's usually the thing that lo- loses you your, your position. So it's, it's literally the opposite, but it's the same phenomenon, I think, in the sense that it hasn't gone into history yet. Yeah. It's either treated, you know, lightly in this country or in Germany ultra seriously, but both, I think, show that. Well, we, yeah, and we have the the, the, the the light treatment and the sort of reverence of it. So mm. there's that, that there's that the, just the, you either joke about it or you or you look into the middle distance and, and think noble thoughts about the fallen. You know, there's mm. the, the, the there's there's the, you know in Britain there's kind of no middle ground. There's, there's certainly no one wants to hear about things like the, the Bengal famine, perhaps. You know, where where the, the British imperial effort. Go, you know, has all sorts of appalling side effects. People don't want to hear about that, really. Um, uh, they'd rather either watch Dad's Army or or play Bugles for the Fallen. But, <laughs> but it, it sort of rolls over into the next generations, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, people say, you know, this is the last generation now, and and with that, it, it teases from living mem- memory. But then, if you see living memory as something that you've experienced secondhand even. Yeah. So if, if I take my experience, my, my grandfather was from East Prussia, which um, is sort of 
the Baltic region, and, and they, 12 million Germans lived there, and they were all um, humanely um, sort of yeah, expelled, dri- dri- expelled, expelled, driven yeah. out from there. And it's taken them, sort of, it took them three, four years, basically, to get from there to Germany, and lots of horrendous things happened on the way. And he, he never ever talked about it when, when I was younger, certainly. Because uh, his younger sister died on the way, and and they had to their grandmother, for instance, had some some sort of injury in her in her leg, which started festering, and then she died of that. And there's like my my 12 year old grandfather rolling her up in a carpet and and dumping the literally the body into the ditch and that sort of thing. He never ever talked about it until sort of late 90s, early 2000s, when he was sort of I think he realised that he was getting older and would eventually die without those stories going anywhere. Yeah. And then suddenly he told us all of this stuff. And then a lot of things suddenly clicked into place, you know, where he'd overreact when you said something as a child or, I don't know, you ate your chocolate a bit too quickly and he'd be like, you don't know what you've got, you know, that sort of thing. And, and all of that suddenly began to click in. And now it's sat there with me as yeah. a sort of secondhand memory. Yeah. You know, as, as some form of living memory, I suppose, because it was passed down from somebody who was there. But where, you know, it, it sort of carries on in echoes, doesn't it? Yeah, still? yeah absolutely. I mean, those... those I mean, population migrations is to is to be sort of polite about it. Those mm. those expulsions are quite, are quite an extraordinary part of German post-war history. Yeah, and one that isn't talked about for at all. for a lot of reasons. Yeah, 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 because you've got entire populations of people. I mean, it, it, and the, and Poland's the same. So if you go to Wrocław, you know Bre- Breslau as was, which was a festung, and there was an appalling battle there where the where the um, uh, the Gauleiter built built an airfield um, uh, and then flew out of the city having vowed never to surrender buggered off um <laughs> uh, left people to their fate there that's now that's now a polish city having been a german city and it has if you go to a restaurant there they 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 it's eastern polish cuisine even though you're in as far west poland as you p- can possibly be because the people who live there are from the eastern slice of poland that was moved that was moved west and the same thing happened in germany didn't it giant overlays and people trying to get away from the soviets as well yeah and then you ended up with so east germany had about a fifth of its entire population were people from the former um yeah. eastern territories so they were suddenly without anything they were just you know without their houses homes literally just carried what they had with them but weren't at home where they went people that were already in germany went well you're a stranger here what are you doing here we haven't got enough food for ourselves so it was hugely disruptive after the war and that's an experience that wasn't really talked about much because at the time it was inconvenient um as you say the post-war period is about building cohesion isn't it national cohesion and that was the same in germany on both sides and so there's this kind of idea that there were germans there who weren't there previously and don't really fit in was just not really addressed and, and was kind of just, it was hoped that they just integrate over the you know, generations and, and it wasn't really something that was talked about, which made those people incredibly bitter and angry about that. And, and people kind of just founded their own little clubs and associations and, and they were breeding grounds again of sort of right-wing extremism yeah. for that reason, because they were raiding against that society that they were made to, to live in. Gosh. Um, um, does anyone have any questions for, for <laughs> Catch Your Night? Yes, the gentleman there. Yeah. No, no, I'm going to mic. I'll relay it. So, so for the podcast listener who may not have caught that on our microphones, Eastern Germany, the DDR, which had the greater effect on it, the, the, the time of the Second World War or the, or the 45 years of, of Soviet, Soviet, not occupation, but, um, you know, involvement, let's put it that way. And, and the Federal Republic of Germany doesn't have that 
period of time. So is, which, which, is the, which is the sort of heavier load that the east of Germany carries? Yeah, I mean, firstly, maybe on the economic thing, that's a little bit, I would say, of a misperception. It's not like people were, you know, sort of starving or didn't have anywhere to, to live. I mean, whilst the houses may have been ultra ugly, we had sort of these great big concrete buildings and so on, they were comfortable enough to live in. They were insulated. They, they had heating and all of that. And nobody thought of them at the time as some sort of aberration. People were glad to have, you know, somewhere reasonably nice and spacious to live. And the West likes to think that all of its buildings are sort of nice little, you know, Biedermeier villas and all that. But that they had huge, you know, concrete blocks in Hamburg and then in Cologne and where they had to rebuild quickly as well. So there is that element that in, in, West, in East Germany too, there was a sense, not in the sense of the economic miracle in the West, but there was a sense that things were getting better and consolidated themselves. And people were safe. They didn't have to worry about their jobs, just like in the West, they didn't have to because of the economic miracle in the, in the East where you were just given a job and, and you had that economic safety and security, I suppose, as well. Um, it's, I think the interpretations that were made of the Second World War hugely differ, and that's perhaps where the memory of the war differs as well. So where East Germany was incredibly uh, hostile and openly hostile towards the whole period of Nazism, the West was sort of, let's just forget about this for now until we sorted our economic situation out. And, and the first German, West German Chancellor, Adenauer, um, deliberately did that. So the idea was get all of the civil servants back in, that were civil servants under the Nazis, get all of the high-ranking politicians back in and so on to try and stabilize the regime and then deal with it in the 70s and 80s when we can, whilst in East Germany it created chaos by basically saying we need to chuck everyone out, teachers, doctors, lawyers, builders, anybody who was anybody in the, in the Nazi regime just needed to go. And so you had said farmer who just came in from East Prussia, um, where he'd worked on a farm for 20 years, suddenly teaching A-level physics um, <laughs> in, in front of his students. Um, so that created a sense of chaos, I'd say, in the 50s and 60s. But then it quickly sort of people just arranged themselves with the situation as it was. Um, even when the wall was built in, in 1961, I, I, because I'm currently writing a book about this as well, I'm interviewing a lot of people who were there at the time, and it's really interesting how many people can't even remember where they were when the wall was built. I thought it was one of those like 9-11 type events, you know, where everyone sort of goes, oh yeah, I remember I was in the supermarket when they told us. People on the whole just went, you know, okay, it's there, it's not there. Um, with the exception, of course, of those who wanted to, to leave and who now had to arrange themselves. But I would say that sense of consolidation is there east and west. Um, if, that, if that answers the question. Brilliant. Um, there's one at the back, and then we, we should probably wrap up because we've done the usual thing we do on this podcast of talk for too long, <laughs> but at a very high, interesting level. Um, be very quick. <laughs> Hello. It's on. Yeah, it's on. Um, okay, so there's been lots of fictionalizations of what would have happened if the Germans had won the war. What's your opinions of this? I mean, there's Man in the High Castle, etc., etc. What would have happened and would it be better or worse than it is now? <laughs> um, it would be worse. Yeah, I could, I could start with that. I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> definitely go for worse. Yeah. I, to be honest, I, I just don't see from the off in both world wars actually how they could have won it. If, if, you're, if you think about the geostrategic position that Germany is in, right in the center of Europe, surrounded by all the people who are going to be unhappy about its expansion, east or west. Um, you know, you're now in, a, in an age, and I think this is what they underestimated in the First World War, you're now in an age where suddenly war isn't just about tactics and about being 
ultra, you know, like Hitler's basically idea of, of sort of just working hard enough and just gritting your teeth and getting through. None of that matters. It's, it's resources. It's having enough uh, manpower. It's, it's having the um, natural resources behind that. Yeah. And, and the moment, say, America enters the war, um, even most historians, so Max Hastings, for instance, did a huge thing about this. Even historians who, even if you take America out of it, Historians have estimated that the balance of resources was still slightly against Germany, even just within the European context. So yeah. one way or another, it would have run itself out, I think, in yeah. both world wars. Don't, yeah, I mean, the lesson is in that is don't take on three economies all bigger than yours. Right, I'll make a note somewhere. All, all, each, <laughs> all, all each bigger. Um, Send it uh, back home to the fatherland. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank God we ended on a laugh. Um, uh, um, um, well, thanks everyone for um, uh, for listening. Um, everyone out there in podcast land. Thanks to everyone here um, at uh, the British Museum at this RTS event. We are we are delighted to be allowed to to do this for you this evening. And um, if you're uh, if you are a Sky History subscriber, click the series link that you know you want to. Um, for why did the Brits win every war? Um, a, a huge round of applause and a thank you to Katya Hoyer. Thank you. Thank you.